Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 207 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. My main priority this year is scaling up my beekeeping operation. This week, we took the first step in introducing an additional 50 colonies. Stay tuned to hear how I got on. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast and regardless of your beliefs, I wish you all a very happy Easter weekend. And what a weekend it's shaping up to be. Lovely sunshine and warm, warm sunshine. At least it is here in Norfolk. Apart from the weather, there's really only one topic to share this week, and that's the addition of the 50 colonies that I've mentioned on several previous occasions. No apologies for repeating myself, though, because at long last, we appear to be into a reasonable spell of warm, settled weather, and we can really get cracking with our plans for this year. You will recall, possibly, that I had plans to buy an additional 50 colonies to boost our numbers so we can maximise the opportunity that the summer pollination jobs offer. Well, this week, Steph and I travelled down to Essex to have a full day inspecting the bees, signing off on their strength and, more importantly, health, before loading them up and bringing them back to Norfolk. The day started out at 5am with a visit to the grain store to collect the large i Williams trailer. This is the one, you may remember, that we had a question about regarding whether I was legal to tow it or not. And I finally found out that I am, of course, perfectly fine towing it with the Ranger. Always best to double check these things, but I had a feeling I was safe from a legal perspective at least. It's a beast of a trailer and this was to be its first real task since I bought it late last year. It's 16 foot long and 7 foot wide, just to give context to use the word beast, but it is a beast compared to our much smaller 12 foot by 6 foot renovated trailer. The trip down was quite uneventful, up to the point that I got stuck behind a car travelling at 45 miles per hour on the M11 motorway and felt the urge to overtake it. The overtaking manoeuvre was perfectly executed, even though I say so myself. It's just that I hadn't accounted for the strain it might put on the engine. And, yes, you've guessed it, the engine started to overheat again. Now, I've done a major amount of work on the truck this winter, so I hadn't expected this, and it is a worry. I slowed down a little, and the temperature returned to normal, and, much to my relief, stayed there until the next big hill when it started to climb back up again. And remember, at this point, I didn't have anything in the trailer. I was a little nervous, to say the least. I've carried out quite a lot of research about this towing lark, 
and it seems that instead of doing what I would normally do, which is change through the gears from first to fifth gear as quickly as I can as I increase speed, what I should have been doing is watching the revs and keeping them up as high as two and a half thousand revs, so there's less strain on the engine when we get to pull up those big hills. We got to our destination in good time and the remainder of the drive was pretty uneventful. The bee farmer we've bought the bees from is the same bee farmer that we've bought all the equipment from and we spent a short while checking what else was left for me to bring back to Norfolk. I thought we had most of it but one of the things we had left off the lorry transport was the brood frames and 1500 brood frames do take up quite a lot of space. There is still quite a bit of kit to collect, but I think we can probably get it all on the trailer, so it looks like one more trip should do it. The weather warmed up fairly quickly on Thursday, the day of the collection, so we planned the day's adventure and plotted a route around the various apiaries in order to hit the magical mark of 50 colonies to bring back. I have to say, the location is quite spectacular for several reasons. Rolling hills, beautiful countryside and some of the biggest most expensive houses I think I've ever seen. Now I know I'm just a Norfolk bumpkin and easily impressed but some of these properties were massive. One in particular stood out currently being built looking out over the rolling countryside a massive white building with a swimming pool that looked more like a lake and recently planted hedgeline that must have cost as much of the value of the house that I currently live in. I kid you not. Anyway, not envious, not jealous, just imagine the heating costs of that swimming pool alone. As an aside, when I got home, my wife told me that she was going to buy a paddling pool for our 11-month-old grandson. <laughs> well, back down to earth once more. Anyway, back to the bees. The first sight at the top of a hill was opposite a woodland that was a sea of bluebells already in flower. The bluebells at the fishing lakes here in Norfolk are not even showing flower buds yet, so these are several weeks ahead. The reason for the day was to satisfy myself of the health and strength of these colonies that I was buying. And it's important to remember that if you're buying bees, you must be happy with them. And I would recommend either inspecting them first or buying them from a reputable source someone like me for instance. I'm lucky that I've got my time as a seasonal bee inspector to fall back on. These inspections are not your normal Sunday afternoon bottom of the garden type inspections. It can seem quite aggressive and harsh to the untrained eye. The job is to check for health. We're not looking for the queen, we're not admiring the pollen or the nectar flow, it's a methodical bees and brood check. A quick puff from the smoker and the roof and feeders come off. Pause to look at the adult bees. Why do this, I hear you say? Well, I've had a lot of experience with chronic bee paralysis virus recently and the last thing I want to do is import more CBPV from another county. Adults look fine, yes or no. Remove one frame of stores from the brood box and I'm looking for the first frame of brood. Now that might be the very next frame on a strong colony or it could be two or even three frames further in. 
Regardless, I'm not interested in frames of food or whether they're a bit old or a bit damaged. I just need to see the brood. First frame of brood, what was I looking for? Well, firstly, any capped brood. What do the cappings look like? Here, I'm thinking healthy brood. This is always my starting point. Does the brood look healthy? Do the cappings look as they should do? A light digestive biscuit colour wax capping is what I like to term it, completely sealed with no holes and looking dry with a kind of matte finish. Anything else, I'm going to slow down and have a closer look. One word of advice here, don't panic too quickly if you see some cappings with small holes in at this time of the year. It's probably just because the workers have so many cells to cap that they haven't finished it off as yet. Others will hide varroa damage, EFB, AFB, but more likely something like sac brood. Prepare for the worst and you'll always be relieved when it's just sac brood. That's my way of thinking. Next up is larvae. How do they look? Pearly white is a common colour phrase that's used to describe healthy brood, but some may look a little yellow. Is that a major problem? Well, no, not really. It will most likely be that the larvae has taken on the colour of the pollen it's been feeding on. So again, don't panic. The larvae should show signs of body segmentation too. What do I mean by this? Well, instead of being one long smooth tube, trying to think of an example here, uh, here goes, something like a jumbo sausage before it's cooked, that smooth casing. It's not, it's not a very good example, but you get what I mean. The healthy honeybee larvae will have segments running down its body. So if you see a jumbo sausage in your cell, be alarmed. I'm not sure that that's terribly helpful, but let's move on. The larvae will normally lay nicely in the bottom of the cell and when quite young, form the shape of the letter C. As they grow, they will begin to twist a little in the cell. So again, don't panic if a larger larvae is starting to move around. Two things to say about EFB here. If the larvae has no segmentation and you can see a white sack inside it, get some tweezers or a matchstick and pull it out. Set it on the top bar of the frame and squish it a little to reveal that white sack. This is the larvae's gut and the white substance is the EFB bacteria multiplying in the gut. Close the hive and call your bee inspector. Again, if you see a blob of melted cheddar cheese in the bottom of the cell, close the hive and call your bee inspector. I'm glad to say that I found none of those. The strength of the colonies varied quite a lot and I did find several drone-laying queens and colonies that were infected with chronic bee paralysis virus, so those were rejected. We moved from apiary to apiary throughout the day. Generally, the colonies were in very good shape and with the warmer weather were all growing nicely. Some very large colonies, some average-sized colonies and a few smaller ones, completely as I would have expected. Beekeepers all do things slightly differently. And we found quite a number of colonies with sheets of silver-faced bubble wrap between the frames. The beekeeper explained that he uses these to help the colonies maintain warmth through the winter, keeping them away from empty comb or frames of foundation. 
the only issue here was this overwintered protection hadn't been removed, and so the queen in some colonies hadn't moved past it to expand her brood nest. So it had, in effect, reduced the space she has to lay in and could easily force them into early swarming. Another surprise was that colonies had been overwintered with pollen traps on. Incredibly, those that had pollen traps also had several kilos of pollen in the collection trays between them. I personally would be reluctant to add pollen traps so early. Certainly, I wouldn't overwinter colonies with them in place, but it was interesting to see just how much pollen could be collected. By the time we'd finished inspections and returned to those same colonies, they had something like another kilo of pollen in the trays between them. Amazing, really. I'm pleased to say we managed to get around all of the sites, inspecting around 60 to 70 colonies and selecting the 50 that I was happy with. The loading process was hampered because it was so warm that we had to wait until near dark before we could shut them all down and load them onto the trailer. 48 colonies on the trailer, two in the back of the truck, but it had barely reached halfway along the trailer bed and I have no doubt we'll be able to get a lot more on board for moving to the borage in the summer. The trip back that evening, that night, was totally uneventful, I'm pleased to say. I did barely get out of fourth gear in the truck, but incredibly, there were no overheating issues, and I think I'm learning slowly how to tow a heavy trailer in the Ranger. Happy days! I couldn't have made the move without Steph's help, so thanks Steph, and once I finally dropped her off and got home, a quick shower and bed was calling me, something around 20 to 4am, a very long day and night. I was bound to sleep well, wasn't I? Well, 9am and I was awake again and back out to check on those new colonies. They were all in desperate need of queen excluders and supers, being on the edge of the oilseed rape fields as they now are. The other task was to remove all of the pollen traps. I really needed to get them off and start the cleaning process. Some of them were very grubby indeed. Sometimes, when you put a shout out to family for help, it's not always quickly forthcoming. I understand this. We're all busy. We all have things to do. But on Friday, I was joined by Steph, my brother, and his teenage son. And we headed back to sort these colonies out. We're now sat with these 50 colonies, all supered above queen excluders, pollen traps removed, and settling down to the task in hand, honey production. I've made the decision that with the weather looking so favourable for the next couple of weeks, we'll attempt to get some honey off the oilseed rape before we split the colonies. My reason being that if there's honey to be had now, and banked, so to speak, we should make hay while the sun shines, to coin a phrase. The splitting of colonies will surely happen as queen cells get thrown up by some of these colonies, but we'll cover those off as it happens, I think. I arrived home last night feeling quite pleased with my week's work and then realised I had 10 nukes being collected early this morning and two apiaries that need inspecting before I can begin to even think about heading out on an Easter egg hunt. So, happy Easter once more and I hope your weekend inspections are going well for you and that your bees are not yet swarming. I'll catch up with you all again next time. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Bye.